Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host, Aryan. And I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime Podcast. This podcast is run by two 20-year-olds from research to recording to post-production and social media. So if you have the means, please contribute to our Patreon. And if you don't, please share our episodes and posts on your social media. Be a loyal Desi Crew member. The word dacoit bears its roots in the Hindi word daku. Tracing back its etymology unveils a plethora of stories buried in the rich history of India and its rule under the British Empire. From the commonly known dakus like Pan Singh Tomar to the brave Fulan Devi to the dreaded Kappar Singh, endless stories can be found in the plains and plateaus of northern India. Last time we covered the real life of Kappar Singh. But this time we have the tale of an even more dreaded dacoit. This is the story of the thug who loved women more than money. This is the story of Daku Amritlal. Let me make this clear from the beginning, you guys. The title of this episode is solely Aryan's doing. So if you like it, thank him. If you hate it, then blame him. Nevertheless, he told me that the title is somehow relevant to Amritlal. So Aryan, do you mind explaining now, maybe? Oh, okay, for starters, Dilwale Dulaniya Le Jayenge is an extremely popular Bollywood film starring everyone's favorite, Shah Rukh Khan. And if he isn't your favorite, well, I don't like you already. And no, this episode is not about Aryan Khan. This is a true crime podcast, not a tabloid TMZ Bollywood update. So DDLJ, or Dilwale Dulaniya Le Jayenge, for our non-Hindi speakers, stands for the lover will steal the bride. Not necessarily steal, but the lover will take the bride. English translations of Hindi phrases and vice versa makes everything so awkward. For example, I don't know if any of you know this, but <laughs> Ratatouille in Hindi is Bindas Bhavarchi. <laughs> or like Avengers in Hindi was titled Angare Bane Shole. Yes. But coming back to the point, I think our listeners will sympathize with me once I explain how poignant and perfect this title is. Today's case is about Daku Amritlal. Amritlal was back in his time commonly referred to as Dilwala, Daku, Dilwale. I will later explain why that, but moreover, Mr. Amrit Lal, aka Daku Dilwale, was quite the romantic, albeit in his own screwed up way. He was known to be infatuated with women easily, and when they didn't reciprocate the same attraction, because, you know, he ain't the hottest bloke in town, he'd conveniently kidnap them. So his name was Dilwale, and he was a Daku who used to kidnap women he liked, who sometimes were brides. This, by the way, is actually going to play an integral role later in the story. But how do you expect me to resist the urge to call this episode <laughs> Dilwale Dulanya Le Gaya? Because he actually Fair did. Enough. 
Fair enough, Aryan. So before you take us to the romantic ravines of Chambal, could you please give a shout out to some of our latest patrons? Of course. A huge thanks goes out to Shari Nair, Victor Garcia, Pratna Wadhwa, Achal Gulati, Samya, Amrita Bisht and Shashank to name a few of the many patrons who are now accessing exclusive content. And we have so much gratitude for that. Thank you so much for helping out. Breshwar, I'm not sure if the ravines of Chambal are romantic they're more dusty dingy and dangerous than romantic that region in madhya pradesh of chambal in northern india was historically infested with bandits dakus thugs and all kinds of mischievous elements now that's the official british colonial version of the tale to many these dreaded dakus were simply rebels robin hoods and rowdy non-conforming elements that were simply deemed dakus you see, it wasn't that simple. In fact, this oversimplification of these many groups was in part an attempt by the British to homogenize India. And if they were successfully able to brandish the bandits as rowdy elements that need to be eliminated, they would win the support of upper-class Indians. And that's exactly what happened. But this is not to say that there did not exist groups of Dakus who were truly rowdy and in fact went beyond rowdy, because boy were there many. And herein comes our anti-hero, Amrit Lal. If you guys remember from Thug Life episode number one on Gabbar Singh, and if you haven't heard that, go give it a listen. In the 1950s, the dacoits of India were classified as G1, G2, G3, and so on and so forth based on how ruthless they were. G1 being the most ruthless. On this list of ruthlessness, if you remember, Gabbar was ranked G4. Ahead of him much more cunning and ruthless than the fearsome Gabra, was number G3, Daku Amritlal. But the problem of dacoity isn't that simple. Aran, I fail to understand how these gangs of scrawny thieves who have absolutely no large financial backing stood up against the British Empire and then eventually and even now the Indian police. How did they have the resources or the power to stand up against the entire police force for so long and wreak so much havoc? Great, great question. Perfect segue. This puzzled me too. Imagine the list of dacoits went up to G16 and each of those G16 bandits was the leader of a gang. How did they exist and persist for so long? Well then, there are a couple of history lessons that are quintessential in truly grasping the issue of dacoity. So while these may not be the gory, greasy, true crime shenanigans we have gotten you addicted to, it is still true crime from an era that your great-grandparents belonged to. This is Desi in its truest sense. Stick till the end to hear an interview excerpt with Amrit Lal's actual son, Ram Singh, that I was able to dig up. The Kanpuriya Lucknowi upbringing I've had helped in translating much of it. Now, to understand the dacoity problem of this area, one has to go back into history, as I said. The area between the Chambal and the Narmada rivers in central India has been the breeding ground of marauders of all kinds, not just dacoits, since the beginning of history. In the twilight of the Mughal Empire, a period of transition came when weak and aspiring states tried their best to attack each other with the aid of gangs of ruffians and rebels. Now, these gangs were the early Dakus, or proto-Dakus, so to say, and they were called the Pindaris. And the rise of the Pindaris in the beginning of the 18th century was mainly due to the help they got from the Maratha kingdoms. It was in fact the royalty of that time that provided them the license to pillage everywhere except in their own territory. 
and after each campaign the maratha maharajas accepted with kingly grace a large share of the booty that had been collected by these bandits essentially it was a symbiotic relationship which benefited the bandits and the bourgeoisie of the time after the destruction of the pindaris the thugs became prominent thugs belonged to a group called thuggies this group in and of itself has a fascinating history but we'll get into that some other time though they had originated almost 500 years before they were finally exterminated the thugs were still kind of different from bandits you see the magnitude of the problem that the british dealt with can be gauged from the fact that in 1826 the thugs were spread out in 100 gangs from lahore to mysore the thugs committed murders with a degree of perfection rarely achieved in crime this is why thugs are considered the first organized crime group in the world so the next time you say hashtag #thug life do understand where that word actually comes from talk about being proud of indian history well not exactly but you get my point <laughs> right but this problem metastasized with the formation of madhya bharat in may 1948 by the merger of 25 princely states right after india gained independence Imagine 25 separately administered princely states were all at once brought under one administration who had no idea the extent of the problem of dacoity they were dealing with few know this but dacoity was one of the major issues that concerned prime minister nehru during his government that along with the subsequent abolition of zamindari or landlordism that system produced a vacuum which helped the legendary dacoit leader man singh to establish himself in the area of five districts the chase to get man singh was a long one and it was the combined efforts of uttar pradesh rajasthan and madhya bharat that the gang was hunted down and its leader age 63 was shot in a famous encounter in bhind in 1955 don't worry we will feature that case on the desi crime podcast soon enough But the end of Man Singh did not signal the end of the dacoity problem. If anything, it spurred it into a whole new realm of dacoity in the modern India that existed. One of the reasons for this was the easy availability of firearms and ammunitions from the leftovers of World War II. Again, very few know this, but India and especially these North Indian districts had a sizable representation in the British Army. In fact, Indians were the largest voluntary army, quote unquote voluntary. It was hardly voluntary when your two options are conscription or going to prison. Had a voluntary army of more than 2.5 million Indian soldiers in a war which India didn't even fight. The paltry army infrastructure the British left was exploited by these gangs. And here in comes Daku Amritlal, popularly known as Babu Dilwale. So we are done with the history lesson but I hope you all understand why it is important to communicate that for you to truly understand the era. I don't want you to see Darkus as simply evil. It is very important to humanize them and understand what led to the problem of dacoity. It's not as simple as good versus evil. Who knew there was so much history to delve into before one tried to understand what seems like a simple crime? Mm. The context to this is so incredibly important, Aran, and I think you've given that amazingly because it's so easy to think these are just petty criminals roaming India with weapons and killing people for no sake. In But fact, the context quite gives them the a opposite. story, exactly. right? Quite the opposite, you know. Um, for example, even though we are done with the history lesson. Um here's a little more fun dacoity trivia. Do you know that CID or 
the Criminal Investigation Department of India, was called the Thuggy and Dacoity Department until 1908. That's how big a menace some of these gangs were. Anyway, now we move on to the masaledar and spicy story for which you came here. Amrit Lal was born in 1915. He was the son of a Punjabi forest contractor and his mistress who belonged to the Kirar caste. He deeply loved his mother. I listen to interviews of people who lived during his time and know of him. All say that he was mischievous right from the get-go. Even as a youth, he engaged in rebellious activities, wasn't the most serious student, but none of this suggests that his happy-go-lucky character meant he was violent or ever engaged in crime. In fact, Amrit Lal entered the world of crime rather late, at the age of 23, when he was still a high school student. What follows is the voice of Ram Singh, Amrit Lal's actual son, who describes his father's first crime. If you don't understand it, don't worry, we have it translated for you. Police record me Yaprat, crime number Pasat Pata Umtalis Ketor for Tatsogia. Barilova Chile, never I am go. Ketumare Kamkara, Bulekakara, is he to conclude in your pranagi? A chibata. उसको बोल रही है कपड़े रंग रंग करने वाला तो उसने वो दुकान में जाके कह लूटा कि मेरे पास की इसकी में आई सुन गया वो जाके तोड़ दी दुकान दुकान तोड़ के उसमें जो पैसा था उस टाइम वो चलते थे कंतरी सबने बांट लिए बांट के हमें पता ही यहां आ गए अब वो उसकी पता पड़ा तो दुकान में चोरी हो गई अमृत लाल वाज सेंट ऑफ टू अ स्कूल इन मध्य प्रदेश एज अ स्कूल स्टूडेंट अवे फ्रॉम हिज फैमिली वाइल बीइंग अनएम्प्लॉयड Money was obviously scarce. So one time, Amrit Lal with a couple other of his cousins, merely for some extra money, looted a general store. Unfortunately, what should have been a mere shoplifting snowballed into a brawl, a vicious fight between the shop owners and the young ruffians, and the cops were there on time. On time only to catch Amrit Lal, not his accomplices. The entire blame for the crime was alleged on this 23-year-old and while in custody, this infuriated him. It was quote-unquote unfair that only he was blamed. Even though Amrit Lal wasn't an A student, he was known for his street smarts, his cunning wit and cleverness. People really undervalue street smartness, which in many circumstances is way more important than bookish knowledge. At least it's way more important when it comes to escaping prison. Yes, Amrit Lal escaped custody at the age of 23 by coming up with an ingenious plan to hold a constable hostage. And since that day, Amrit Lal was on the run. Not only did he enter a shop to shoplift it, he simultaneously stepped indefinitely into the world of crime. And mind you, this wasn't the only time he escaped prison, as you'll find out later. Amrit Lal, the fox, or in the native language of Chambal, the Lomri, gets this nickname by the cops because of his cleverness. The fox killed, robbed and kidnapped for almost a quarter of a century and built up such a strong position in his field of operation that it was difficult to dislodge him. Call it public sympathy, timidity or national weakness, this man held the countryside of central India consisting of the bordering districts of Shivpuri, Guna and Morena of Madhya Pradesh and the adjoining districts of Kota and Sawai Madhpur of Rajasthan. He held them in an iron grip of fear and extortion. Babu Dilwala assumed leadership of his first gang in 1943. 
He then committed a series of crimes in Agra, Manpuri and Itawa districts of Uttar Pradesh. In fact, Itawa is one place that whenever I return to my, you know, sort of hometown in Kanpur, I always pass through it and every time we're on the highway, everybody in the car starts talking about bandit stories and their <laughs> encounters and people they know. So, it's kind of close to my heart. By this point, Amrit Lal was the shiz. The average dacoit maintained power for maybe 2-3 years until he or she was caught. Amrit Lal proved to be an exception. One of the crimes he is still infamous for happened during the days of the British Raj when district collectors were a power in the land. District collectors back then were like members of parliament today as an analogy in terms of how much power they had. And Amrit Lal with his gang committed a daring burglary in the house of the collector of Itawa. Immediately, a young British SP was dispatched after him and Amrit Lal was arrested in Agra in 1946. He was sentenced to 18 years. It was game over, everyone thought. But the fox was, well, foxy at the end of the day. While being tried in another case, he escaped from the judicial lockup to everyone's shock. This wasn't the corrupt Indian police that he escaped. This was the might of the British administration. Okay, so the nickname the fox makes sense. He was clever and he was stealthy. I get that. But why Daku Dilwala? Anything to do with his fascination of women that you mentioned early on? One would assume that to be the case, right? right. But not exactly. He was called Babu Dilwala because he was a rather large-hearted guy and <laughs> uglier Robin Hood of sorts. In the early 50s, a barber who gave him a nice haircut was gifted a note of rupees 100. A man who cycled 10 miles to warn him of the presence of police received rupees 1000. Amrit Lal had become a rich man. In fact, what follows is the account of a local from Amrit Lal's village talking about how Amrit Lal stole from the rich and gave to the poor. कोई भी गरीब आदमी उनके पास पहुंचता है या औरत जैसे अपनी चीज पहन के निकलती तो वो बिल्कुल नहीं बोलते सबका बड़ा मान इज्जत करते और उनके यहाँ ना कोई समाजवाद था वो तो जिन बड़े लोगों के पास सेठों के पास ज्यादा धन था उनसे लेते थे Another fascinating story about Amrit Lal that evinces his magnanimous and gracious character. Okay, and mind you, most dacoits who had long-term careers, so to say, were actually generous. That's how they won the people's support, which was quintessential in maintaining their power. But back to Amrit Lal, one of the stories revolves around the famous Indian actress Meena Kumari. When Meena Kumari just started shooting for the film Pakiza, on one of the days they wrapped up shooting in Delhi and left for wherever they were going. That same night, the crew, including Meena Kumari, was returning to their place via Shivpuri in Madhya Pradesh. And if there's one thing you know about Shivpuri by now, is that it's pristine bandit area. They were going in two separate cars, but if only Meena Kumari had heard the Desi Crime podcast, she wouldn't have made such an error. Their cars were stopped at midnight by men who emerged out of nowhere. There was a verbal spat between the drivers and the dacoits until finally the dacoits realized they had stopped the beloved Meena Kumari. So for this obviously there was a financial incentive right because they could extort her and get so much money out of her. Exactly but that's where comes the complexity of Daku Amritlal. The gang that stopped Meena Kumari was that of Amritlal and true to his nickname Dilwala not only did he not extort the crew he arranged music food and a place to spend the night for all of them 
Now this might be an urban legend but it is said that many members of the gang got Meena Kumari to tattoo an autograph of hers on their hands with a pointed hot knife. I love that so much. If that's true that's so gangster. I mean literally also cuz they're gang members but pretty cool. In May 1953 Amrit Lal launched a sensational attack on the Kolaras police station of Shivpuri district with the intention of killing the SP Chunni Lal. I told you Amrit Lal loved his mother and Chunni Lal leveraged that by harassing his mother in a way to tempt Amrit. The SP barely managed to escape but in his fury Amrit Lal and his gang killed two constables and took away the arms kept in the police station. His strategy was one of extreme cunning and each crime was planned with deliberation and foresight matching a military precision. He struck with surprise and ingenuity so that people could talk about his exploits and shiver at the mere mention of his name. But with a change in police administration, Amrit Lal's luck changed as well. Here comes the actual hero of our story, not the protagonist, but the heroic alpha male so to say. You all know him if you remember the Gabbar Singh episode at all. Khusro Faramur's Rustam ji, the newly appointed police commissioner of Madhya Pradesh. appointed none other than his close friend prime minister nehru primarily to take care of dekoity rustam ji is an indian hero that not enough indians know about unfortunately so if i achieve anything through this podcast i would love for people to know his story a lot of the information in these thug life episodes comes from the madhya pradesh annual police reports as well as rustam ji's diary that he maintained In fact, just like most people have a coffee table book in their living room, Rustam ji in his actual living room kept a handwritten list of all the G1 to G16 dacoits. Every time he eliminated one of them, he used to cross out their names. We have uploaded a photo of that list on our Instagram and Twitter @desicrime as well as the only known photo of Amrit Lal, so go check that out. Under Rustam ji's leadership on 4th June the police had two sharp encounters with Amrit Lal and he fled leaving all his goods and arms behind among those things were some sarees cholis blouses bras and necklaces gifts of the romantic bandit meant for his many many mistresses clever cunning and quite the casanova babu dilwala was but his pride his cleverness and his romance came at a cost Amrit Lal suspected or was deliberately made to suspect that someone from within the gang had given information to the police. His suspicion fell on Dolat Singh, a member of the gang. As a precautionary measure rather than an extreme precautionary measure, Amrit Lal shot him dead. Now obviously the gang broke up into three groups after this and his second in command Sultan Singh got separated from him. Sultan was an ex-policeman who was the fighting core of the gang. Amrit Lal in fact hated to take risks he had no stomach for blood it was sultan who did the killing and all the ruthless violence both of them needed each other without smart leadership sultan succumbed in an encounter with the police in october 1958 amrit lal was clever but like all clever men he was extremely suspicious he had no idea of how to build up support for himself except through fear He searched desperately for new members but could not succeed and when he did find them as i said he grew suspicious of them first you know he killed dolat which led to the fragmentation of the gang and next he killed tulagadaria on the suspicion that he might be a police plant so his first undoing was his insecure cleverness his second undoing 
was his pride. The bandits of Madhya Pradesh are caste and status conscious. They measure their status on the basis of the reward placed on their heads by the government. Amritlal too was proud of the reward of rupees 20,000 which the government of MP had offered for him, dead or alive. This kept playing on his mind. He even informed some of the members that he was worth a bit to the government on and on again. That's so much like Osama bin Laden reminding everyone close to him again and again and again that they'd be rewarded a million bucks if they snitched on him. Eventually and inevitably, he'd be the one that would plant that idea into someone's mind to kill him. That's exactly what happened to Amritlal. More on that later. His third undoing was his penchant for women. Amritlal had become infatuated with a woman named Naraini, who was the wife of a gang member named Rathi Kirar. Rathi had been killed a few months earlier in a police encounter. Well, not exactly a police encounter. It was made to look like a police encounter, as Rustamji writes. Most likely, Amritlal had killed him, but made it appear that he was killed by the police. Double-crossing in the dacoity game sometimes reached such proportions. The bandit's admiration for Naraini did not cool. First, he picked up the woman's brother, Badri, aged 23, and threatened him to fetch his sister. Badri obviously resented such a demand, even if it was under a threat of extermination of the whole family. Badri was also convinced, like Rustamji was, that his brother-in-law didn't die in a police encounter, but rather at the behest of Amritlal. So, he decided to take revenge for making his sister a widow and the demand of bringing her so that Amritlal could satisfy his sexual desires. Badri kept playing for time. He first asked Amritlal to teach him how to shoot as he had never fired a gun before. And Daku Amritlal taught him how to load a rifle, how to put the charger in the magazine, how to apply the safety catch, how to put the rifle on the shoulder and fire. And such was the stupidity that overcame the arch-villain that towards the end of his life, he even told Badri about the huge monetary reward that he carried. I mean, if I was Badri and I could kill a ruthless Daku who wanted to assault my sister and also get a ton of money in return, I mean, you know, it is what it is, right? We'd all do it. Amrit Lal proudly showed Badri the proclamation issued under the signature of the district magistrate of Shivpuri while boasting how important a man he was. Badri asked him innocently about the penetrating power of a rifle and how many bullets would be required to kill a man. Amrit Lal, amused at Badri's ignorance, told him that a .303 caliber bullet could go through five people in a row and kill all five of them. On the night of 18th August, 1959. Amrit Lal moved through the jungle as he had done for 25 years. The gang spread out in a formation as they always did. The scouts in front, Amrit Lal in the middle, and Motiram, another gang member, and the rest following behind. Early in the morning, they reached Gopalpura village and camped there. All of them had a bath. They had brought a goat with them which was slaughtered, liquor was consumed, and it was just another night being a bandit in Chambal. But not exactly. After the gang members played cards for high stakes while the meat was being cooked, they had a hearty meal and all of them went down to rest for a while. Badri volunteered to be the watch guard and Amritlal did not suspect the youngster. So much was his liking for Nairaini that he transferred some of it to her brother also. 
they all slept soundly except the nervous badri as soon as the dacoits were fast asleep badri took a .33 rifle assumed a crouched position behind amritlal and fired one shot the first one in his life which went through amritlal's chest to split up into motiram both of them were sleeping face to face so one shot was enough motiram died at once amritlal did not he tried to rise up glared at badri almost in a shakespearean etu brute moment and then collapsed amritlal heaved his final breath and romeo never got his narayani it was certainly the most important shot fired in madhya pradesh as it killed the man most needed to be killed in india what about all the other gang members are right so the other members of the gang got up when they heard the firing and tried to catch badri he fired at them and sent them away and they literally ran away in their underwears Badri took the two rifles which were looted from the Kolaras police station almost 7 years back put them across his chest before walking into his village to announce to a stupefied police contingent who almost did not believe him obviously that he had killed the much dreaded Amritlal Babu Dilwala the fox was no more to haunt the villages of Chambal Unfortunately for Badri getting the reward wasn't that easy 20000 rupees that he was promised were although for getting amritlal dead or alive since he did kill him it led to way more bureaucratic and legal hurdles rustam ji in fact defended badri's right to receive the reward it took months until badri did receive his reward 2 months later badri kerar finally got a reward not exactly the kind he would have liked he was shot dead by one of the surviving members of Amrit Lal's gang. <laughs> 